0: Good morning, everybody. Um, right, I'm going to carry on with the series that Andrew's doing on, on, on worship and um, our chief aim to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to be preaching from John four nineteen to 24. Um, and my aims, sounds a bit like a teacher here, but my aims are going to be to give a brief, a brief background and history to the passage. Um, um, and then I will... The passage that I'm going to be using and and, and explain that a bit more, Um, look at how we worship today and highlight a couple of things that might hinder us in that progress, all right, that hinder us a little bit in our progress of worship. I can only do a couple because we could be here all day otherwise, um, and to give time for worship afterwards, what my, my aim is. Now, on Friday, oh, first of all, how many of you keep special things, special things that the children or friends have given you and you know, a lot of you, a lot of you, yeah. I'm exactly the same. I went, I was up on, going up on the loft on Friday. I went into the loft and there was this huge box and it had jammed special things on it. I thought, well, I might need to do a bit of condensing here. Um, but there were special things in it. There was, it might not sound special to you, but there was a, I did a typing course when I was um, earlier on, uh, yonks years ago actually at school, and I remember getting an A for it. So <laughs> this, uh, this was in my box. Not that I can actually type now that well, but I got an A and I thought, I've kept that, you see, and there's some photographs and bits and bobs and things. But also there were some special... I keep loads of cards... I think when I die, I'm just going to say, where did all these cards come from? I keep loads of cards. And I brought a a few along this morning. Now, these are special cards to me. Um, This one was, I've I've already asked Lizzie's permission for this, actually, by the way. Um, This was one of the cards Lizzie made for me years and years and years ago. All right. She was obviously very quite artistic and grabbed what she could use. And it says, uh, you know, when you look at them, you look at it again and think, to mum, happy Mother's Day, love, you, dar- love your darling Lizzie. And it says, P.S. This is the bit that got me. Today you can put your feet up and I will do all the work. I'll ask dad to help me. <laughs> <laughs> this one was quite funny too, because it said, to the best mother I have ever had. <laughs> So I'm thinking, mm, how many mothers have you actually had? But again, she says, on this Mother's Day, you can put your feet up and I will do all the work. I'll ask Dad to <laughs> I think there was a trend here. And this last one was one where she says, um, it's a, th- a thing about a Christmas gift. I think she might have done it in um, Sunday school, actually, years ago. It says, to Mum, my Christmas gift the best gift that I could give is to my mum to try and behave for Christmas Day. <laughs> that would make my mum and dad very happy. From Lizzie. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to come back to those later, but just just so I remember. But those, were, they were given to me, and they were given in love, and they were really special to me, and I've, obviously I've kept them, and hundreds of others as well. Now, before I go into this passage, I want to give you a bit of a background. Um, It's um, about the Samaritan woman that we're going to be starting off with. Um, Many of you have heard the story of the Samaritan, but there might be visitors here or people who have never heard it, so I'm going to give you a little brief background. Um, Jesus was actually going from back to Galilee, all right, when this story starts. He was going back to Galilee, and he was going through... Samaria and on the way to Samaria he goes to this town called Sychar there's a map up there oh there will be a map in a minute Um, uh, to Sychar and Sychar is near a place where Jacob had given his son Joseph when he was dying some land you can read all about that in Genesis I'm not going to go into any of that and he comes across this well which is called Jacob's well all right now you can see Samaria, Galilee, all right, I had to go through it to get to, because he was—he he just had to go through it. <laughs> um, now, it's about noon, all right, we all know that, it's very noon, very hot, and he's thirsty. Um, so he goes and he sits by a well, and he could well have sat on the top of the well, because of these big capstones on the top and a little hole in the middle, so he could have well been sitting on the top of the well. And while he's sitting there, he sees a Samaritan woman approaching, as you all know this story <laughs> quite well, and which was a bit unusual for a woman to um, be coming out at noon because they used to get their water um, either early in the morning or late at, in the evening. Um, and also they went in groups. They went in groups, possibly because the containers were really heavy and had to lift them, put them on the shoulders, so they had friends to help them. And it was probably a bit of a social thing. So... Um, only somebody that was a bit of a social outcast, or was you know a bit bad, let's say bad woman, all right, um, would have been there on her own. Or she could have also, at that time, been there to meet travellers, all right. Not quite sure. Now, Middle Eastern wells, because I often thought, well, why did Jesus get his own, own bucket? You know, why did he get his own water? Well, actually, it, Middle Eastern wells don't have buckets. Travellers carry leather buckets around, which are often rolled up. Now, Jesus' disciples had gone off and gone to get food and things, and probably they would have had the bucket that they would have used. All right? So he didn't have a bucket. Big problem. How's he going to get this water? No. So he sees this woman approaching, and in Middle Eastern cultures, it would have been right for him to process... Possibly moved back from the well about twenty foot, um, because then that was saying almost like saying to her, "It's safe, and culturally you can approach." But he doesn't; he just sits there. And when he and then out of the blue, he asks her, "Can I have a drink of water? I'm thirsty." Now, in doing that, Jesus does four things. He breaks first of all the social taboo of not talking to a woman, all right? Especially in an un- uninhabited place. You no, know, normally they would have had witnesses. Secondly, he ignored the 500-year hostility between Samaritans and the Jews, all right? Um, th- that in itself is a whole history. If you want to <laughs> go into that, you can. But that's, I'm not going into that detail. So Jesus sets aside the bitterness of the past, history by asking for a drink from a Samaritan woman. Thirdly, Jesus humbles himself all right He humbles himself to ask a woman to help him um, from her bucket. all right now Jews don 't like to be ceremonially unclean i right, 'm not saying that Jesus was like that, but asking to use have a drink out of her bucket would have made him ceremonially unclean as well, so he 's humbling himself in two respects there, but particularly with the woman now Jesus elevates the woman's self worth all right the woman's dignity is almost affirmed she's the only one who can help jesus. she is the only one who has that bucket. And um, and Jesus just accepts her, you know. It's a question. He just accepts her, so she kind of affirms her. And then Jesus carries on talking to her about living water. Um, I don't think at first, from reading it, it sounds like she doesn't really understand. She doesn't really grasp it. Um, and then Jesus does something. He gives her what's called a word of knowledge. He tells her that. She's had five husbands, all right? And the one person that she's with now is not her husband. I mean, if somebody came up and revealed something in my life that I really would like hidden, and you think, oh, my word, what do I do this? (laughs) you know, And I think my first reaction would be I would be embarrassed. I'd be ashamed. I'd I'd feel really awkward about it. So what this woman does, and that's where we're going to pick it up on the verse... It, she says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She acknowledges that Jesus is a prophet. And she, as I said, she's feeling very exposed. So she's using a little bit of the, the Samaritan Jewish history. to to come back at him and and use it as an argument. Um, Now, the the place of worship had long been a conflict between Jews and and Samaritans. And the mountain she talks about is called Mount Gerizim. (laughs) I had to practice that one. And the Samaritans held the mountain sacred. And this is because Abraham and Jacob had also built altars in that sort of general vicinity, all right? That's part of why it was important. But the amazing thing is, Jesus is not drawn into that conversation. He's not drawn into it about Jews and Samaritans. Excuse me a second. And so he goes on to say, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. Now, the reason Jesus said that the Samaritan Bible <coughs> said this was that the Samaritan Bible only contained the first five books of our original Bible. I could ask you who knows that. Who knows the first five books of the Bible? <laughs> <coughs> and that was called the Pentateuch. So, although the samaritans worshipped god they didn't have the full story all right they didn't have the full story of everything and so there was um so their failure to accept it they didn't really understand about jesus all right and jesus coming. they didn't have isaiah and all those all those words they they, they didn't know about jesus uh, <clears throat> the messiah jesus would come from the jews all right that's what it says in the Bible, and that's what happened. The Messiah, Jesus, came from the Jews. Now, true worship in spirit and truth, it doesn't need any geography, all right? It doesn't have to be on any mountain anywhere, and it doesn't have to be in Jerusalem. It needs no geography. We can worship wherever. Yeah. So that's part of what that's about. But Jesus, in speaking to this man, reveals to her the most important teach- teaching on worship in the entire New Testament all right, he's talking to, to this lady about the worship that we need to do. That's amazing. She's a Samaritan lady. Get that in your head. It's just hard to, to take it all in. And again, he elevates her. You know, he, he elevates her as a person, but as a woman as well, saying how important they are, all right? He accepts her, even though she's got a history, And in the the end, she in turn adores the Christ. She goes off and tells everybody about him. And Jesus tells us that God is seeking true worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, first of all, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you can read that in John 14 verse 6. The Samaritan woman, um, at the end of the thing, is talking with Jesus and says, I know the Messiah is coming. He will explain everything to us. And then she reveals, she says, Jesus told her that he was the Messiah. She received this good news, all right? She received that good news. And actually goes around telling the others, as I said earlier. Now, do you want a relationship with Jesus when you believe all that he's told you? Do you accept the good news that he came to give us life? Do you accept the truth? There might be some people here that are not sure. Secondly, Jesus also promised to give us the Holy Spirit to teach us all things, to counsel us and help us, giving us gifts to help us worship and praise him as well. Again, that's in John fourteen twenty six. I want to ask some of you, have you received the Holy Spirit to help you in your worship? and in other aspects of your life have you actually received the Holy Spirit now if you desire to know Jesus more or to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit I know there's people in here who will pray for you and be quite happy to, to do that for you and also we are going to be doing a Christianity Explored course which I'll say, I'm sure if you saw Andrew or Keith or somebody well, Nathan's not here today but they will tell you about it now moving on Okay, because most of us, I think, here looking around are saved. You know, you you believe in Jesus, you have the truth, and you have the Holy Spirit. So moving on, all right? I want to use the passage from um, the message, all right? Because it kind of gives another slant to worshipping in spirit and in truth. It helps us understand it a little bit better. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sure, sorry, God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration kind of speaks quite a lot for itself, actually. Going back to these cards, okay, when my daughter gave them to me, it was almost as if she was giving part of, I'll put it in a vertical, part of herself to me, all right? It was something that was very special, something that I wanted to hold on to, something that, you know, was really, really important. It could be anything to you. It could be a letter somebody would given you, some encouragement that, you know, really went deep that you held on to. Um, we spent time probably laughing over them, laughing at some of the words, laughing at, oh, yes, is dad going to really do the um, helping? He's shaking his head there. (laughs) But we spent time over them and looking at them. And when we're in our worship, when we come to Jesus, it's very similar. We come, he must feel the same, actually, as I felt but be- probably better, but, you know, when we go with our worship to Jesus, he takes that on board, he enjoys it, he he, he, he keeps it, he stores it up almost, all right? If you think of that sometimes when you're worshipping, I um, think, you know, how would I feel if I was receiving this, all right? How would I feel as I gave this to somebody? It often helps us to do that. Um, So engaging our hearts and our minds and the Holy Spirit in our worship, we're being real, all right? We're being real as well. Um, Once, as I said, once we've got Jesus, and once we've got the Holy Spirit, you think, oh, great, this is fine. I'm going to do worship in the most amazing way. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? You know, let's be honest. It's sometimes really, really hard And there are things that resist it. Now, one of the things that can resist it is our unworthiness, all right? Jesus showed the lady at the well, she was accepted, despite being a woman in that culture, a Samaritan and someone who had been immoral. She was restored and she was accepted by him. She was given an identity in God. She actually could have been stoned, all right, because he knew she was in worship. She could have been stoned, that could have happened to her, but it didn't. Do you feel you are unworthy to come to God in worship? Do you look at the person next to you? Look at the person next to you, if you've got somebody next to you. Do you think, they're better than you. <laughs> they're better educated. Oh, they're thinner than me. They're fatter than me. They're wider. Just just look at them things. Oh, they're lazy or, or I'm, I'm lazier than them. You know, just look at them. They're kinder. They're more loving. In other words, are you comparing yourself? God doesn't compare you. God doesn't compare you at all. He just loves you as you are. Now, lies are very good. They can bombard us, telling us we're not good enough, all right? Devil's great at telling us how awful we are. And I can be quite good at listening to those as well, all right? The devil can tell us how bad we are. But we've got to take those thoughts captives. You might say, okay, devil, I agree with you, yes, but, the word but, but, Father, I thank you that you've taken me from where I was to where I am now, right? Use it as a positive, from where I was to where I am now. Thank you that you love me, that you accept me. Thank you that you continue to work in me, that I am being honed, Now, one of the things, when I really struggle with things, one of the songs that really helps me, I'm not going to sing it. You wouldn't want me to sing it. But I'm just going to read some of the words. It's quite a short one. Is Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. Let my flesh life melt away. Make me like a precious stone crystal clear and finely honed. Life of Jesus shining through, giving glory back to you. Knowing the Bible helps us to be able to draw on words that often, and, and often Psalms is a great one for this. We can use those Psalms to draw on them to help us to use this against such attacks, particularly if we doubt and we feel unworthy. Even some of the worship songs—even if you haven't got a Bible—or some of the worship songs you might have learned at school—you can grab hold of those, use those words to lift you up, to to, to 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 proclaim, realize our worth, and give the worship to God. The other bit, which is a bit tied into this, is fear of man. Now, this has nothing to do with my music ability at all. You know, I'm not talking about my music ability in this. But when I was in primary school. I remember, it was a nightmare, I remember being in this huge hall, bigger than this, I remember the name of the teacher being Mr. Meach, his name was Mr. Meach, and he used to come round and he had this box, it was a brown box, <laughs> you can see it now, and it came around and he used to hand out to each one of us a recorder. No health and hygiene there, believe me. Don't know who'd sucked on it the week before, but you just got this recorder. They weren't cleaned. Now, we used to have to play a note or a tune. I don't know if any of you remember that horrible tune, London's Burning. (laughs) London's Burning. I used to hate London's Burning. I could never, ever, ever get my fingers the right way round on the right notes. I don't know, I seem to have a mental block somehow, right way round, right notes, or anything. And we used to have to, pl- you know, he used to go along listening along the line, and I think, oh, good grief, can't do this, can't do this. So I pretend... Sorry, I've lost it because it's off my ear, sorry. OK. I, um, I used to pretend... I used to pretend that I was blowing this recorder. I used to think... Yeah, I was pretending. Um, Consequently, I can't read music. I can't... um, I never ever seem to pick up music at all. I can't play any instruments. I really would love to. You know, I really would have loved to have done that, but just can't do it. I didn't progress in my music ability whatsoever. Because I had a fear of being laughed at, of what poor people thought of me. That sort of stopped me, learning that instrument. And I don't see any of those people now, that's the thing. I don't see them, I don't even know where they are now. But that stopped me, I did not progress. Is your fear of man, and what they are thinking of you, stopping you making progress In your worship for Jesus, just leave you to think about that. Is it stopping you? Is it because you're thinking what they think of you when you, you worship? Probably they're not thinking anything of you. All right. I'm being a bit whatever if I say, I think some men might find aspects of worship a little bit difficult. Okay, but I won't go into that too much. Um, I think because sometimes singing about love and whatever is not always a manly thing in some respects. So um, I think you might find a thing. But I'd want to challenge you men. I bet you'll sing at football games. And I bet you'll worship the team. And I bet you'll shout and scream for them. Is your God more important? Is God more important to you? Another thing we, that can res- resist our worship is when we find things really difficult, you know, when we go through the difficult times, not just like if we start badly on a Sunday morning, you know the baby's needs changing for the third time, or, or um, you step in a puddle on the way to work not those sort of things, but well, those do, don't help, but when things get really difficult, when it involves illness, death um, of a loved one. Problems with our jobs, problems in our relationships Um, and our family, you know, they cause us to really struggle. You come here and you think, oh, I can't do this. I know there's been a few times I've stood, I've secretly hidden my head and allowed my hair to come down like this and wiped away a few tears because I found it very difficult to worship. Or I got choked up and I thought, I can't get the words out. But I've tried to progress and push through. The song 10,000 Reasons, I'm sure some of you know it, um, by Matt Redman. It's an amazing song. And it's talking about praising in the evening, in the morning, and and whatever. And he's brought out a book about it, 10,000 Reasons. And he shares people's stories in this. People that have really struggled with things in their life. And I mean really struggled. Um, there's people there that have been executed, but as they've gone to be executed, they've been singing that song, Ten Thousand Reasons. Um, they've been people that have died of cancer, people that have lost children. I was reading some of these stories, and it was bringing me to tears. So you have to do it lightly, all right? Don't excuse me a second. I've got a runny nose. Oh. So they're really, you know, they're really. Emo- it, it, they're real stories about worship. And these people have written to him saying, Because of your song, we've kept pray you know, we used it to worship through these difficult things. I find that when we worship the Holy Spirit often reveals the Father's heart to us. All right. He gives words of encouragement and he tells us what we want <laughs> what he wants to do in our lives sometimes and in the lives of others. Also, what he wants to do as a church, within the service, in prayer, etc. Prayer meetings. He gives us direction as well. That helps us. God delights in our worship. I just want to finish by reading um, a section here from Matt Redman's book. I'll try and not make it too long. But I don't know if any of you know that Matt Redman was abused as a child as well. All right. It was quite as shocked me. And he's writing about when he was 13 years old. And how 13, I mean, our young people aren't in here. He became a Christian and he just held on to God in these times. And I just want to share this with you. Maybe that's what makes him such an amazing worship leader now. Worship was a constant in my life. A place where I could hang out. That wasn't subject to change. It was a place of security and serenity. It was the place where I knew I could find Jesus, ruling and reigning over my life in love and stability. He was the unshakable one, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There with him, I finally felt as though I could breathe. And though I didn't understand why I was being abused, somehow these worship songs reminded me that I had, I had not been abandoned. Worship provided me with the chance to to quieten the fears and anxieties and instead to focus on God. And it taught me a valuable lesson. Even though worship is not about us, and it's not primarily for us, in the kindness of God's economy, worship helps us. Something happens when we open our hearts to God in praise. It's as if we give him a special welcome to work deeply within us and open up his heart to us. Worship isn't just the act of uploading our praise and devotion to God. There's a simultaneous download too. We get a reminder of who God is, a revelation of his grandeur and grace. It's the sort of transfer that enriches our hearts and refreshes our souls. As John Piper once put it, worship is a feast of the glorious perfections of God in Christ. You know, this is a really good book if you're struggling with worship to have a read of. Honestly, it is. I want to ask you the question What holds you back? What holds you back? Stops you giving glory to God. What holds you back? Is it fear of man? Is it know that fear of man is really nothing if you think about it, okay? I'm going to ask the band to come up what i want want to do really is I want as I said, I wanted us to have time to worship. This is about worship. I could have gone into loads more detail, but I felt God say, this is about worship, let's worship.